You are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show. We are, uh, this is previously the Crypto Economy podcast, but today, officially, it is Bitcoin Audible. Um, after the having, I just felt like this needed a shift to uh, kind of redefine what the focus uh, has really always been, and that is obviously Bitcoin, and uh, I have a lot of big plans for the Crypto Economy Network. Um, so that name will still be around. You'll still be able to find me and all of the stuff uh, that I'm doing under the crypto economy. Uh, but we are officially Bitcoin Audible, and I could not think of a better way to uh, kick this off than have a reading of the Bitcoin white paper, which I have yet to do. Um, and this is going to be a uh, a reorged uh, <laughs> a reorged uh, read here that will officially be our read zero um, that should have been done so, so long ago. So let's go ahead and jump in. But first, a quick thank you to Swan Bitcoin for supporting this podcast where all of the best works in Bitcoin are made audible. Don't forget to set up your Swan Bitcoin savings account at swanbitcoin.com guy so they know that I sent you there. Um, but uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into 2008, the October 2008 paper announcing Bitcoin to the world. Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system by Satoshi Nakamoto. Abstract, a purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof of work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of the sequence of events witnessed, but proof that it came from the largest pool of CPU power. As long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by nodes that are not cooperating to attack the network, they will generate the longest chain and outpace attackers. The network itself requires minimal structure. Messages are broadcast on a best-effort basis, and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof-of-work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. Introduction Commerce on the internet has come to rely almost exclusively on financial institutions serving as trusted third parties to process electronic payments. While the system works well enough for most transactions, it still suffers from the inherent weaknesses of the trust-based model. Completely non-reversible transactions are not really possible, since financial institutions cannot avoid mediating disputes. The cost of mediation increases transaction costs, limiting the minimum practical transaction size and cutting off the possibility for small casual transactions. 
and there is a broader cost in the loss of ability to make non-reversible payments for non-reversible services. With the possibility of reversal, the need for trust spreads. Merchants must be wary of their customers, hassling them for more information than they would otherwise need. A certain percentage of fraud is accepted as unavoidable. These costs and payment uncertainties can be avoided in person by using physical currency, but no mechanism exists to make payments over a communications channel without a trusted party. What is needed is an electronic payment system based on cryptographic proof instead of trust, allowing any two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party. Transactions that are computationally impractical to reverse would protect sellers from fraud, and routine escrow mechanisms could easily be implemented to protect buyers. In this paper, we propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer -peer distributed timestamp server to generate computational proof of the chronological order of transactions. The system is secure as long as honest nodes collectively control more CPU power than any cooperating group of attacker nodes. Transactions We define an electronic coin as a chain of digital signatures. Each owner transfers the coin to the next by digitally signing a hash of the previous transaction and the public key of the next owner and adding these to the end of the coin. A payee can verify the signatures to verify the chain of ownership. The problem, of course, is the payee can't verify that one of the owners did not double spend the coin. A common solution is to introduce a trusted central authority, or a mint, that checks every transaction for double spending. After each transaction, the coin must be returned to the mint to issue a new coin, and only coins issued directly from the mint are trusted not to be double spent. The problem with this solution is that the fate of the entire money system depends on the company running the mint, with every transaction having to go through them, just like a bank. We need a way for the payee to know that the previous owners did not sign any earlier transactions. For our purposes, the earliest transaction is the one that counts, so we don't care about later attempts to double spend. The only way to confirm the absence of a transaction is to be aware of all transactions. In the Mint-based model, the Mint was aware of all transactions and decided which arrived first. To accomplish this without a trusted party, transactions must be publicly announced, and we need a system for participants to agree on a single history of the order in which they were received. The payee needs proof that at the time of each transaction, the majority of nodes agreed it was the first received. Timestamp Server The solution we propose begins with a timestamp server. A timestamp server works by taking a hash of a block of items to be timestamped and widely publishing the hash, such as in the newspaper or Usenet post. The timestamp proves that the data must have existed at the time, obviously, in order to get into the hash. Each timestamp includes the previous timestamp in its hash, forming a chain, with each additional timestamp reinforcing the ones before it. Proof of Work 
To implement a distributed timestamp server on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, we will need to use a proof-of-work system similar to Adam Back's Hashcash, rather than newspaper or Usenet posts. The proof-of-work involves scanning for a value that when hashed, such as with SHA-256, the hash begins with a number of zero bits. The average work required is exponential in the number of zero bits required and can be verified by executing a single hash. For our timestamp network, we implement the proof of work by incrementing a nonce in the block until a value is found that gives the block's hash the required zero bits. Once the CPU effort has been expended to make it satisfy the proof of work, the block cannot be changed without redoing the work. As later blocks are chained after it, the work to change the block would include redoing all of the blocks after it. The proof of work also solves the problem of determining representation in majority decision making. If the majority were based on one IP address, one vote, it could be subverted by anyone able to allocate many IPs. Proof of work is essentially one CPU, one vote. The majority decision is represented by the longest chain, which has the greatest proof-of-work effort invested in it. If a majority of CPU power is controlled by honest nodes, the honest chain will grow the fastest and outpace any competing chains. To modify a passed block, an attacker would have to redo the proof-of-work of the block and all blocks after it, and then catch up with and surpass the work of the honest nodes. We will show later that the probability of a slower attacker catching up diminishes exponentially as subsequent blocks are added. To compensate for increasing hardware speed and varying interest in running nodes over time, the proof-of-work difficulty is determined by a moving average targeting an average number of blocks per hour. If they are generated too fast, the difficulty increases. The network. The steps to run the network are as follows. 1. New transactions are broadcast to all nodes. 2. Each node collects new transactions into a block. 3. Each node works on finding a difficult proof of work for its block. 4. When a node finds a proof of work, it broadcasts that block to all nodes. 5. Nodes accept the block only if all transactions in it are valid and not already spent. And 6. Nodes express their acceptance of a block by working on creating the next block in the chain, using the hash of the accepted block as the previous hash. Nodes always consider the longest chain to be the correct one, and will keep working on extending it. If two nodes broadcast different versions of the next block simultaneously, some nodes may receive one or the other first. In that case, they work on the first one they received, but save the other branch in case it becomes longer. The tie will be broken when the next proof of work is found and one branch becomes longer. The nodes that were working on the other branch will then switch to the longer one. New transaction broadcasts do not necessarily need to reach all nodes. As long as they reach many nodes, they will get into the block before long. Block broadcasts are also tolerant of dropped messages. If a node does not receive a block, it will request it when it receives the next block and realizes it missed one. 
incentive. By convention, the first transaction in a block is a special transaction that starts a new coin owned by the creator of the block. This adds an incentive for nodes to support the network and provides a way to initially distribute coins into circulation, since there is no central authority to issue them. The steady addition of a constant amount of new coins is analogous to gold miners expending resources to add gold into circulation. In our case, it is CPU time and electricity that is being expended. The incentive can also be funded with transaction fees. If the output value of a transaction is less than its input value, the difference is a transaction fee that is added to the incentive value of the block containing the transaction. Once a predetermined number of coins have entered circulation, the incentive can transition entirely to transaction fees and be completely inflation-free. The incentive may help encourage nodes to stay honest. If a greedy attacker is able to assemble more CPU power than all the honest nodes, he would have to choose between using it to defraud people by stealing back his payments or using it to generate new coins. He ought to find it more profitable to play by the rules, such rules that favor him with more new coins than everyone else combined, than to undermine the system and the validity of his own wealth. Reclaiming Disk Space Once the latest transaction in a coin is buried under enough blocks, the spent transactions before it can be discarded to save disk space. To facilitate this without breaking the block's hash, transactions are hashed in a Merkle tree, with only the root included in the block's hash. Old blocks can then be compacted by stubbing off branches of the tree. The interior hashes do not need to be stored. A block header with no transactions would be about 80 bytes. If we suppose blocks are generated every 10 minutes, 80 bytes times 6 times 24 times 365 equals 4.2 megabytes per year. With computer systems typically selling with 2 gigabytes of RAM as of 2008 and Moore's Law predicting current growth of 1.2 gigabytes per year, Storage should not be a problem, even if the block headers must be kept in memory. Simplified Payment Verification It is possible to verify payments without running a full network node. A user only needs to keep a copy of the block headers of the longest proof-of-work chain, which he can get by querying network nodes until he's convinced he has the longest chain, and obtain the Merkle branch linking the transaction to the block it's timestamped in. He can't check the transaction for himself, but by linking it to a place in the chain, he can see that a network node has accepted it, and blocks added after it further confirm that the network has accepted it. As such, the verification is reliable as long as honest nodes control the network, but is more vulnerable if the network is overpowered by an attacker. While network nodes can verify transactions for themselves, the simplified method can be fooled by an attacker's fabricated transactions for as long as the attacker can continue to overpower the network. One strategy to protect against this would be to accept alerts from network nodes when they detect an invalid block, prompting the user's software to download the full block and alerted transactions to confirm the inconsistency. 
businesses that receive frequent payments will probably still want to run their own nodes for more independent security and quicker verification. Combining and splitting value. Although it would be possible to handle coins individually, it would be unwieldy to make a separate transaction for every cent in a transfer. To allow value to be split and combined, transactions contain multiple inputs and outputs. Normally, there will be either a single input from a larger previous transaction, or multiple inputs combining smaller amounts, and at most two outputs, one for the payment and one returning the change, if any, back to the sender. It should be noted that fan out, where a transaction depends on several transactions, and those transactions depend on many more, is not a problem here. There is never the need to extract a complete standalone copy of a transaction's history. Privacy The traditional banking model achieves a level of privacy by limiting access to information to the parties involved and the trusted third party. The necessity to announce all transactions publicly precludes this method, but privacy can still be maintained by breaking the flow of information in another place, by keeping public keys anonymous. The public can see that someone is sending an amount to someone else, but without information linking the transaction to anyone. This is similar to the level of information released by stock exchanges, where the time and size of individual trades, the tape, is made public, but without telling who the parties were. As an additional firewall, a new key pair should be used for each transaction to keep them from being linked to a common owner. Some linking is still unavoidable with multi-input transactions, which necessarily reveal that their inputs were owned by the same owner. The risk is that if the owner of a key is revealed, linking could reveal other transactions that belonged to the same owner. Calculations We consider the scenario of an attacker trying to generate an alternate chain faster than the honest chain. Even if this is accomplished, it does not throw the system open to arbitrary changes, such as creating value out of thin air or taking money that never belonged to the attacker. Nodes are not going to accept an invalid transaction as payment, and honest nodes will never accept a block containing them. An attacker can only try to change one of his own transactions to take back money he recently spent. The race between the honest chain and an attacker chain can be characterized as a binomial random walk. The success event is the honest chain being extended by one block increasing its lead by plus one. And the failure event is the attacker's chain being extended by one block, reducing the gap by negative one. The probability of an attacker catching up from a given deficit is analogous to a gambler's ruin problem. Suppose a gambler with unlimited credit starts at a deficit and plays potentially an infinite number of trials to try to reach break-even we can calculate the probability he ever reaches break-even or that an attacker ever catches up with the honest chain as follows. P is the probability that an honest node finds the next block. Q is the probability that the attacker finds the next block. And Q sub Z is the probability that the attacker will ever catch up from Z blocks behind. Given our assumption that P, the probability of an honest node, is greater than the probability of the attacker node, the probability drops exponentially 
as the number of blocks that the attacker has to catch up with increases. With the odds against him, if he doesn't make a lucky lunge forward early on, his chances become vanishingly small as he falls further behind. We now consider how long the recipient of a new transaction needs to wait before being sufficiently certain the sender can't change the transaction. We assume the sender is an attacker who wants to make the recipient believe he paid him for a while, then switch it to pay back to himself after some time has passed. The receiver will be alerted when that happens, but the sender hopes it will be too late. The receiver generates a new key pair and gives the public key to the sender shortly before signing. This prevents the sender from preparing a chain of blocks ahead of time by working on it continuously until he is lucky enough to get far enough ahead, then executing the transaction at that moment. Once the transaction is sent, the dishonest sender starts working in secret on a parallel chain containing an alternate version of his transaction. The recipient waits until the transaction has been added to a block and Z blocks have been linked after it. He doesn't know the exact amount of progress the attacker has made, but assuming the honest blocks took the average expected time per block, the attacker's potential progress will be a Poisson distribution with expected value lambda equals the number of blocks times the probability of the attacker finding the next block divided by the probability of an honest node finding the next block. To get the probability that the attacker could still catch up now, we multiply the Poisson density for each amount of progress he could have made by the probability that he could catch up from that point. And rearranging to avoid summing the infinite tail of the distribution and then converting to C code. Running some results, we see the probability drop off exponentially with Z. If the probability of an attacker finding the next node is 0.1, then with zero blocks, the probability is 1.0. After one block, it falls to 0.2. At two blocks, it's 0.0509, etc. At three, 0.0131, etc. Four, 0.0034, at 5, 0.0009, all the way to 10 blocks at 0.0000012 probability. If the probability of the attacker is as high as 0.3. Again, at 0 blocks, it is 1.0. At 5, it is 0.177. At 10, it is 0.041, at 15, 0.0101, etc., all the way to 50 blocks, at 0.0000006 probability of catching up. Conclusion We have proposed a system for electronic transactions without relying on trust. We started with the usual framework of coins made from digital signatures which provides strong control of ownership, but is incomplete without a way to prevent double spending. To solve this, we proposed a peer-to-peer -peer network using proof of work to record a public history of transactions that quickly becomes computationally impractical for an attacker to change if honest nodes control a majority of CPU power. 
the network is robust in its unstructured simplicity. Nodes work all at once with little coordination. They do not need to be identified, since messages are not routed to any particular place and only need to be delivered on a best-effort basis. Nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the proof-of-work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. They vote with their CPU power, expressing their acceptance of valid blocks by working on extending them and rejecting invalid blocks by refusing to work on them. Any needed rules and incentives can be enforced with this consensus mechanism. And there it is. Released in 2008, uh, late October, I think it was October 31st. This is the initial proposal of how to achieve um, Bitcoin, how to achieve a distributed uh, a timestamp of recorded transaction history that could be agreed upon in a completely decentralized fashion where there was no specific place that any transactions were being sent to. There was no specific server that needed to be online. People could freely enter and leave using the longest chain of proof of work and the, valid, the, the validation of the data um, inside the system as proof of what happened. Um, just an amazingly... I mean, this, when I first read this, it, it really blew my mind. Um, and, you know, this, this is where Bitcoin was born from and, and the brilliance that this foresaw. Remember, this system wasn't even alive. Yet, like there was no network to pull from, but seeing all of the game theory and understanding uh, and explaining some of the the difference in the costs and the the um, you know some of the main attacks that the that the network even has to be concerned about at this point in its history, the amount of problems and dynamics that he foresaw at this stage is pretty amazing. That it is held up and remained true essentially to this day. Um, so, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor real quick. And I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, before we close out our first official episode of Bitcoin Audible. And that sponsor is Swan Bitcoin. Now I know you guys all know about Swan. Uh, they, uh, I'm not sure if you watched any of the like Swan signal stuff that they did over the halving, but there was some really great stuff and it's been amazing to work with that team. Uh, Swan Bitcoin uh, is literally the best place to start your Bitcoin savings plan. We are now in the third epic and the inflation schedule has dropped down to 6.25 Bitcoin per block. And the longer you wait, the more scarce it gets. If you haven't set up your DCA, your, your auto buy weekly, monthly, whatever it is to, to stack Bitcoin over time, this is a long term game. You need to do it today. And you can do so at swanbitcoin.com slash guy. And not only will you get the lowest fees for auto buying Bitcoin that are out there, uh, you will also support the show by letting them know that Guy was the one, that that's me at Bitcoin Audible, that uh, I was the one that sent you there. Um, and uh, that also means a lot that, you know, you support uh, good companies that are supporting good podcasts like this one. And uh, I, uh, I super appreciate it. So thank you uh, to everyone listening and of course to them for supporting this podcast.
one of the things about the white paper, um, looking back on it, uh, it's funny how much isn't talked about in the white paper um, to some extent is that, uh, you know, the, the, it really was a system of like the, the bulk of this entire paper is um, assumes the knowledge of a lot of other pieces of this of this tool, um, essentially, and really only talks about the proof of work, the chain, the miners and the nodes. Like it talks about that, the, the, the consensus mechanism, whereas all the other stuff is, you know, like, you know, basically old cryptography in a sense, you know, a chain of signatures, um, you know, you know, public keys and that sort of thing. Uh, transactions are, you know, briefly gone over just everything that's needed to understand why you were able to achieve consensus. And that's the beauty of this thing is that literally this is the first like what you just listened to is the first ever creation of a system in which there is a way to, without any third party whatsoever, without anyone running the system, that you could just participate in the network and you could know the joint truth of the entire network and that there were incredibly powerful incentives for it to uh, not be cheated um, and and. and astonishing cost to any reversal in time to try to undo or um, reorg as it's now referred to but um, uh, basically double spend a transaction in the past and the, the speed with which that drops off uh, uh, in just in like his his calculations here and I kind of skipped over if you didn't notice um, like some of the equations that are put in this uh, paper just because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but the, the little simple ones that I could at least just explain, uh, I did hit. But I want to go over a couple of things about assumptions uh, where uh, maybe some of the things didn't quite hold up. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about, like, simplified payment verification. It's, it's so funny that he actually kind of addresses this problem uh, in the white paper, even though it's kind of a, such a... Uh, such a big misunderstanding, particularly in like the the small block versus big block arguments and like that sort of thing in the debate that, you know, with uh, simplified payment verification section eight is that as long as you have the root, the hash root, um, excuse me, the Merkle root um, of a block, well, then you can basically query nodes on the network and you know that your transaction was in a block. But then uh, further down, um, uh, when you, like, starting out the calculations section, uh, he says, quote, we consider the scenario of an attacker trying to generate an alternate chain faster than the honest chain. Even if this is accomplished, it does not throw the system open to arbitrary changes, such as creating the value out of thin air or taking money that never belonged to the attacker. And what he's essentially saying is that it is only within these consensus rules um, it's about changing the history, not changing the actual rules, that this is possible. And it is because of full nodes. Now, at this point in time, remember, again, there's no network. Uh, there's no pooled miners. Like, that's, that was a development that happened years later. Um, there were so many dynamics and, like, things that came about in the live network over time that we realized how different some of this could actually turn out. But the beauty of this, like nodes, every time he refers to nodes here, he's referring to mining nodes because he's assuming that if you are not a miner, 
that you're just going to check for your transactions. You're going to just want to make sure that all of the people who are participating in the network um, uh, uh, have validated your uh, have validated the details. It wasn't for a number of years that full nodes, the idea of a full node that wasn't mining, uh, became a thing that that we realized that as uh, full nodes, as uh, as mining nodes, excuse me, um, become specialized, they become like a, a specialized industry. That the only way to defend against it, like, and and he says later on this exact paragraph. The only way to defend it is to make sure that all of the valid transactions, or excuse me, all of the data in a block is valid, which means that a full node becomes a defensive mechanism, even if you're not mining, because by, the, by its nature, you are creating a network that cannot be given invalid information. Therefore, you're protecting the consensus rules. And he says that. He says, um, even though he's not referring to, uh, uh, again, he's making no distinction between a full node uh, as we know it now, and a mining node. But it says nodes are not going to accept an invalid transaction as payment, and honest nodes will never accept a block containing them. So essentially, anything that breaks the rules or that presents invalid data to the chain, a node, and, and in this sense a full node, uh, whether it be mining or what we know of as today a full node, will not accept it. So an attacker has to play within the rules because of full nodes. Therefore, if we left full nodes only up to miners, well, then miners would completely control the network because they would be both the definers of the consensus rules as well as the chronology of the history. But the beauty of how it changed over time is that even though mining became specialized, we didn't let the full node operation become specialized. We still allowed the entire network to defend itself from malicious miners from the validity sense, from the idea of putting in new consensus rules, and you know, Segwit2x, these the um, the blockchain or the big block debate was actually what brought that realization to the surface. Is that full nodes really are that important because they create the rules of the network. They they create the very incentives, the environment that forces miners to be honest in the first place, and it's amazing to see that months before the network was even alive like he, he was satoshi was aware of that sort of trade-off even though even though some of the the defining characteristics of how that played out in reality changed very much over time it was still acknowledged in in the in, in addressing what an attacker could do but therein lies part of the problem why it makes sense to um uh to keep the uh, to keep the, um, well, the data, the data limit low to, to make sure, like, like, for instance, you know, nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the proof of work chain as proof, um, or excuse me, accepting the longest proof of work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. But that, that presumes that they must be able to download all of the data and actually catch up with the network which means that the data footprint has to be small enough that validation remains an option. Otherwise, otherwise the whole core of this, that, that, is, that is in the conclusion, and he says that like three times in this paper, I think, that you can use the longest proof-of-work chain, you can download it, confirm, 
that the what you had previously is chained to what is what exists now and you know all the data is right and you know all the validation is right and you know that is the current state of the network that presumes you must be able to download and assess and validate all of that information and once we found out that full nodes were in fact a powerful defense mechanism against any unwanted changes to the network against uh, altering the rules, the underlying consensus system itself, then that, that's where we began to see, um, and a lot of the early developers began to see, and there was this huge tussle as to how do we maintain, like, like how do we get all the benefits of this system, including uh, you know, low transaction costs and finality in transaction, uh, while not losing the, the true breakthrough of the consensus mechanism where we trust the proof of work only by validating all of the information and chasing that chain to its current, um, its current final state. How do we keep that the? How do we keep that mechanism alive? Um, and and in that requires the fact that we validate all the information. Otherwise, we are not protecting the system. We are simply protecting that you know our wallet has the right transactions in it. Um, which, you know, in and of itself doesn't really tell us much. It's, it's checking the numerator without checking the denominator. If somebody can arbitrarily change the uh, inflation schedule and create new coins out of thin air or change, uh, you know, some nature of the consensus rules, then proving that our payment is part of that is kind of arbitrary because it's like, it's like proving that I have a balance in a bank but I have no idea how many dollars there are. I have no idea what the Federal Reserve is doing under the hood. Like they could manipulate everything. They can manipulate interest rates. And it doesn't really matter that I have dollars. They have full authority over the system. And I am still entirely at risk of that counterparty's decisions and choices. Independence is entirely dependent upon the validation system. But just what an amazing piece of work this just blew my mind when I first because I, I really didn't know a lot about like like when I first stumbled upon this um I was you know kind of like getting into the whole cypherpunk thing like I had like kind of branched out into that mostly from the pirate culture on the internet because BitTorrent was the peer-to-peer -peer system that nobody could shut down that I had as my uh, as my baseline to compare this to and to see this use some of the most powerful aspects of the BitTorrent system to achieve an independent money while I was simultaneously my brother and I were going down the Austrian economic rabbit hole and we were like debating economics like this just was so crazy I, I could not I couldn't walk away from it like I read this in no time and I was on to the next thing. I was trying to find that next thing to read, to, to listen to that next discussion about it. And that's when I started finding the first people who were promoting and talking about Bitcoin, people talking about the Silk Road. I mean, it was so, really, this thing has never not been exciting. Um, and just coming off the third halving, it's crazy to see something that, you know, was once just one of many proposals, but really finally found that last little piece of the puzzle um, to, to create 
the you know a network with almost no structure like it, it requires it is just a thing of itself it is a system of rules that you can just join and participate in and you can leave and it doesn't need any like overarching engineering or any like set servers anywhere it's just ethereal it's just out there and it's such a beautiful idea um so uh, I had I've had numerous people tell me that I need to read the white paper on the show and I can't believe now that I haven't. So I'm actually going to backdate this read as read 000 because what is more pertinent to uh, the Bitcoin Audible podcast than the white paper? Uh, and since I never had a Genesis read, um, we'll lie a little bit and say that that's what this is. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you guys uh, like the new rebrand and like the new name. Um, I've still got a lot in the works. I'm not completely finished with everything, but I just couldn't help to uh, announce this just after the Bitcoin halving and turn this into the Crypto Economy Network and share at least a little bit about uh, my plans going forward because I think we've got something really cool here that I... Uh, I want to extend and build a lot with it. Um, so with that, thank you all for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for subscribing. I love you all. This is Bitcoin Audible. Don't forget to start your Bitcoin savings plan at swanbitcoin.com slash guy. And I got so much Bitcoin Audible coming at you later. So don't miss it. Subscribe, share it out with everybody you know in the Bitcoin and crypto space and to your normie friends who have yet to go down the rabbit hole, but you just know that they're on the edge. This is where you point them to. And I'll catch you all next time. Till then, take it easy, guys.